everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me as always from the sweltering heat of Seattle, our, our Seattle Tacoma studios, is my co-host Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome. Boy, I tell you what, it's it's an exciting time. I, I actually saw people on TV throwing a baseball back and forth. It's starting to happen. Whether or not, we'll, how far we'll get, I don't know. But <laughs> Whether we'll get there or how far we'll get when we get there, only time will tell. Yeah, who knows. But when we're recording, we're recording this on the first day of, and I refuse to call it, I'm going to just say it one time, summer camp. I refuse to call it that. That's just, I hate it. We are recording this on the first day where where there is actual training going on with baseball teams. And so maybe something has happened, but I know Mike Trout, everybody's looking at Mike Trout to, to decide what they want to do. He's, he's running the bases with a mask on, which props for him for for leading that way but you know his wife is 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 pregnant and he is yeah. worried that you know he might not be able to see his child be born or see it in person for two weeks after it's born so everybody's kind of looking at mike trout like what's he gonna do because <laughs> that's what i'm gonna do <laughs> yeah well no and, and and it makes sense because mike trout is one of those guys that he's he speaks quietly but because he doesn't speak out that often when he does it's of the utmost importance yeah and i so was people, people do look to my trout i was so happy with what the things he said too they were so responsible that yeah i you, i think you hit it on the head he's so respected by players for what he does on the field he's not you know he doesn't make many statements he's not you know a rah-rah guy but you know if he were to say hey i'm not I, i'm gonna sit out this year I think you. I think it would just be like a waterfall. I think just a whole bunch of other guys would too. I, I think if you had the best player in the game decide he wasn't going to play, it would be safe for anyone else to step out. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's get ready. We've got uh, coming up today. We've got the second part of our interview with the incredible Don August. Last week we got through. Uh, we got through the Olympics. And we got through most of his career in the major leagues. And this week, we're going to get to what I kind of think of as the most interesting part of his career. It's after he left the major leagues. And we didn't even get to cover everything with him. But coming up today, we're going to talk about uh, Don playing in Mexico. We're going to talk about Don playing in Taiwan and an incredible story there. And uh, we're going to have, I, I asked Don the question, what happens as a major league pitcher if you look over at first base and Ricky Henderson is over there? So completely selfish question, but it had to be asked. And I really enjoyed hearing him talk about that. So, yeah, it's uh, it gets even more interesting, even if it didn't seem like it could. I really hope this isn't the last time we have Don on the show, because he, he sounds like he's got a million more great stories. Yep. And, and looking forward to that book. Hopefully it gets published oh, soon. Yeah. So, Mark, I've got only one thing before we get into our debuts to talk about, because I, I don't know, this this opened up a broad conversation on Twitter. Uh, just it was a question. And the trivia question was this. And this is not our trivia question. This is just something that spurred conversation. Which player broke up the most no hitters with a home run? Who? Wait, I think I know this. And only because of the time it happens. <laughs> what, what, what is your answer? And, and I, I would not have guessed it if I did not know as much about your favorite player as I do. <laughs> but I think based on just, okay, there's no hits and now there is one, I would go with Ricky Henderson. So that was exactly it. That was the answer that was being you know, put out there. The, the answer, the person that asked the question said, well, 81 times Ricky Henderson did it <laughs> because obviously he led off 81 times with, with a home run. Right. There, there are some, some questions that came up with like, is that true? I mean, we know that he did it 81 times, but, but is, did anybody else do it any other time? So I did a little bit of research. It was kind of hard uh, because I couldn't get using uh, using Stathead, 
So the the only real parameters I was I was able to to put in here was with bases empty during the first or second inning. I couldn't put number of hits okay. beforehand. I couldn't put score beforehand. So my okay. my my thinking here being okay, nobody's reached base. I mean, somebody could walk and you could break up a no hitter. So there's one strike against it. We don't know the score. I put during first or second inning because I figure anybody that's batting lower in the order so they might be up in the third inning if there was a no hitter they're probably not going to have hit enough home runs to you know get into this equation so with the parameters of bases empty first or second inning and hitting a home run barry bonds has 112 so you've got to you got to know that not all of those were were you know the first hit of the ball game Probably True. a good portion of them were, but not all of them. Probably. Next was Albert Pujols, or is Albert Pujols with 91. Same thing. Not all of those are going to break up a no-hitter. And then Ricky Henderson, 88. Now, you also have to take into account that maybe the pitcher gets through the order the first time without giving up a hit, and then somebody gets a home, you know, hits a home run the second time through to break it up. Wow, yeah. So mm-hmm. we don't really have an answer for this. It would probably take Elias or somebody to really give us an answer. But Ricky Henderson could very well be the answer. If if he isn't, I'm going to say it's Barry Bonds. Yeah, Barry uh, did a lot of uh, damage in the first couple of innings. So I, I it, it's interesting. I was just excited somebody asked that question, and I was like, it's got to be Ricky, right? Because right. yeah, uh, yeah. 81 times for sure. So. Right. That was my thought process, and and I, as I said, I wouldn't have probably gone that direction had I not been such good friends with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, generally, if I ask a question, Ricky Henderson should always come into your mind as a possible <laughs> answer. Yes, for <laughs> so, sure. Just the way it goes. Even some non-baseball questions, Ricky Henderson should be the possible answer. Yeah, that's you know that's very true. Very true. All right, so let's get into our debuts. I've got a couple of debuts that I did want to hit, and then we've got trivia before we get back to Don. Debuts our show. Uh, this is dropping on July 7th. So I've got two debuts that I want to talk about. First of all, we've, we've talked about what this guy's most famous for before. It is the anniversary of the debut of Bill Mazeroski. Pittsburgh uh-huh. Pirates Hall of Famer went in in 2001. He won two World Series, one of which we'll talk about here shortly. And this I was unaware of. Eight gold gloves at second base. Wow. Bill Mazeroski was thought of as the premier defensive second baseman of his time. And I just didn't know that. I, I, I didn't know that either. I know Bill Mazeroski waving his helmet in a windmill, you know, circling yeah. second base after hitting a home run um, right. off of Ralph Terry to, to, to win the, the World Series in 1960. That's what yeah, I that's what we always see. Yeah. But he was not a one trick pony, as you're telling us. Yeah. So he was uh, the eight gold gloves at second base, third most in baseball history behind only Roberto Alomar with 10 and Rhino Sandberg with nine. So just a, a, a great defensive second baseman, Bill Mazeroski. As I mentioned, the 1960 walk off World Series winning home run against the Yankees, Ralph Terry was on the mound. Mickey Mantle cried after this World Series. And uh, the, remember, Mark, you, you told us about this. The only surviving footage we have of that is because of Super Pirates fan Bing Crosby. That's right. That's right. He, he uh, set up his television camera to record the game on television. It was apparently a precursor to a VHS. So he actually literally just shot the... the the camera and uh he was in europe and when they came back there was the footage and it just kind of sat there for years until somebody went wait what is this and they looked and it was you know pretty cool didn't didn't you tell me he went to europe because he thought the the pirates were going to get blown out they're going to lose and he didn't want to see it He, he he was too nervous to stick around in the U.S., yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, Mazeroski, uh, as we like to do, we like to talk about some pop culture references, if there are any. Bill Mazeroski appeared in the 1968 Hollywood hit film The Odd Couple. I, huh. I, I'm i not sure I've ever seen the actual movie from start to end. Yeah, uh, no, I'm trying to think of it. I've seen it a number of times. It's one of my favorites. Uh, who did he play, do you know? So, Well, he played himself. So Oscar Madison, of course, one of the the lead characters 
who who played uh, it was uh, Jack Klugman, right? Played Oscar yes, Madison on TV. He was yep. a sports writer, and in yep. in a scene, he is at a Mets game, and uh, what he what he he sarcastically says to the sports writer next to him that Bill Mazeroski is going to hit into a, a game ending triple play to get the Mets out of a jam. And so Maz is up at the plate and just as he's getting ready to bat Oscar or not Oscar Felix, his roommate calls him and distracts him on the phone. And so to do this, they actually shot this 10 minutes prior to an actual Mets game against the pirates. So Maz went out there. They said, you've got 10 minutes. So they had a guy on the mound and, you know, had defense out there and runners on base and they threw him the first pitch and he fouled it off. Second pitch hopper right down to third, third baseman steps on the bag, throws to second relay to first. They get it on the second take and they're done. So wait a minute. So you're telling me they didn't use some kind of stock footage. They actually shot Mazeroski hitting into a triple play. Yeah. So now I got to go see this awesome. movie. <laughs> yeah. I just figured it was some kind of stock footage or something. No, nope, that is awesome. That's that's what they said. Took two. They gave him 10 minutes, took two takes and they were done. <laughs> Practical effects. Dude, where you come up with this stuff, that's fantastic. That's good stuff. right there. <laughs> All right. So our next debut, this one a little bit more recent, 1990, Bernie Williams for the New York Yankees. Bernie Williams played all 16 years of his career with the Yankees. Only won four World Series, nothing big. Uh, Five-time All-Star and was the batting champ in 1998. So Bernie made his debut today in 1991, as I said, against the Orioles. He went one for three. He had two RBIs, and that uh, one hit was off of reliever Greg Olson for the Orioles. Oh, man. 1998, Bernie Williams became the first player in Major League history to win a batting title, a gold glove, and a World Series in the same year. Yeah, he he was something else, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah. You know what, though? But he wasn't ever a superstar. He was just that. He wasn't. He was that, that all-star that was just always pretty consistent, and he was always he was kind of like a rock. You know, to that to that team. Oh, sure. Especially yeah. in center field. I mean, that's a great defense. He could hit, he, you know, a positive attitude. And uh, even if you don't like the Yankees like me, you, you got to like Bernie Williams. Yeah. I mean, he just went out there every day and, he, and he'd give 100 percent. Yeah. Awesome guy. And, and it doesn't shock me that of, of all the people in the history of baseball that it would be Bernie it would pull something like that off because he's just very low key and he would do something totally cool like that. And you wouldn't even know until we told you. That's right. Well, I didn't even know until I found out on the Internet. <laughs> uh, Yankees retired his number in 2015. So nobody, uh, if Ichiro or Randy Johnson come out of retirement, they cannot wear that with the Yankees. <laughs> Although they both played for the Yankees. They probably both wore that number, too. Probably. Um, uh, let's see how Bernie Williams, 121 career playoff games. That's mad. That's uh, like a season. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That's you, two 2020 seasons. That's <laughs> plus a playoff game, a play in game. <laughs> wow. Uh, we've mentioned this before. Bernie, a classically trained uh, musician, a guitarist. He's released two jazz albums and was nominated for a Latin Grammy in 2009. Uh, this I did not know about Bernie Williams. George Steinbrenner, not a big fan early in his career. Steinbrenner oh. apparently became impatient with Williams and, and the progress that he was making in the in the minors. And then when he first came up with the Yankees, he tried to force GM Gene Michaels to trade Williams to the Expos for Larry Walker, Ooh. which I can't imagine that would have been a straight up trade, Larry Walker, but uh, yeah. Steinbrenner also tried other times to get him traded to both the Giants for Darren Lewis and later to the Tigers for prospects. Oh my gosh. So, Steinbrenner, he's, he's so, he was always just, he had to win now. And one, he always had to have his, his uh, spoon in the soup, stirring along with the rest of the chefs. You know, he couldn't just let the GM run it and everything like that. He was always involved. Yeah, except for that Larry Walker trade. The others would have certainly not, yeah. <laughs> not panned out so well. Um, you know, it's funny because I probably wouldn't be a Larry Walker fan now if he'd been traded to the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Larry Walker. Yeah, I think it's better for everybody. Larry Larry took his, uh, you know, his his path took him to Montreal, started in Montreal and then Colorado. I think that's that's good for him. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, also, uh, here's our, our pop culture reference. We've mentioned this before. He, uh, Bernie Williams joined Derek Jeter on a Seinfeld episode titled The yes. Abstinence, where George, free of needing to be intimate with his girlfriend who had mono, becomes a genius. Using this yes. newfound intelligence, he schools Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams on what is wrong with their swings. <laughs> Great scene. He's in there just just telling him, man, what, what you need to do is da 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 da. You know, and, and they're looking at him like, who are you? You know, the assistant to the traveling secretary. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's funny because later on in the show, somebody mentions how his swing, uh, Bernie Sanders' swing doesn't seem. Or Ber- seem Bernie Williams, is the case might be. Bernie Sanders, we have dissected yes. his swing before as well. His swing is, well, he's pretty swingy. Sorry, Bernie Williams. Yeah, yeah, he's got a hole in his swing that came out of nowhere. And it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, uh, great stuff. There's a lot of baseball in Seinfeld, so. Okay, and our, I've got one more debut for today. Making his debut on July 7th, 2009, is The Zipper, a.k.a. Scrabble, Mark Zipchinski. Now, the oh, only yeah. reason I mention this is because I'm going to ask you to try and spell his last name. Wow, dude. You know, I finished second in almost every single spelling bee growing up. I was this girl named Margie who always beat me. So I think I got a shot. Let me, let me, let me. Zepchinski. R-Z. Yes. Is that right? Yes. E-P. Yep. C-K-I-N-S-K-I. Dang it. <laughs> R-Z-E-P-C-Z. Y N S K I two Z's. That's it. That is just the hardest, hardest name ever to spell. All right. So Mark, I asked you a trivia question last week. It was a good one. I was, I was proud of this one. And uh, I want to see what you came up with. The question was, what is the record for most home runs hit in a nine inning game by a single team? Any ideas? Uh, The Yankees. No. It is not the Yankees. The Rockies? Nope, it is not the Rockies. So let's get into the Wayback Machine. Let's go to September 14th, 1987. The Baltimore Orioles are visiting Exhibition Stadium. This is before Skydome, which you'll hear about when we talk to Don August. Uh, Visiting the Toronto Blue Jays in front of a crowd of 27,446 people. And the Toronto Blue Jays come away with an 18 to three win in which they Homer 10 times. Jeez. Wow. 10 times. They Homer. Guess who hit three home runs for the Toronto blue Jays this year or this this day. I I would be cheating because I wanted to look up who hit home runs. And I, I I know now (laughs) (laughs) it's Ricky Henderson's favorite catcher to run on. Ernie Witt went long three times. Three bombs. Uh, three bombs. Uh, the Wax Pack book member, Rance Mullenix, he went deep mm-hmm. twice. Uh, Lloyd Mosby, George Bell, Rob Ducey, uh, batting coach over there in, in Korea, um, and uh, Fred McGriff. So a lot of people that you would expect to. And then Ernie think, Witt <laughs> went I deep think, three times. Yeah, I think Bell hit two. Oh, yeah, actually. Bell hit two. Yep, yep. So yeah. two for him, one for Ducey, one for Mosby, one for Griff. Mullenix hit two, and Ernie Witt, of course, capped it off with three. That's a pretty good day. I bet it was fun to be a Blue Jays fan that day. So that was that that was kind of a fun one. You get to look back at some some fun games. So uh, I've got a new a new trivia question for you though, and uh, here it is: Who are the two active pitchers who have won both Rookie of the Year and a Cy Young award? Not in the same hmm. year, but we've got hmm. two active pitchers going into this 2020 season that uh, have under their belt on their trophy case shelf, a rookie of the year award and a Cy Young award. I'm going to give you a week to think about that. We'll come back. We'll test you and see what you think. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's now let the ground screw do their things. Uh, I'm excited to jump back into this, uh, uh, our conversation with Don August. As I mentioned, we're going to touch on Mexico. We're going to te- touch on Taiwan and we are going to also touch on my favorite subject, Ricky Henderson. So without further ado, let us uh, rejoin our conversation with former Major League pitcher Don August. 
You were actually drafted by the Houston Astros. Correct. Yeah, and I'm a big Astros fan, so I had to ask. Now, did you go to big league spring training when you were drafted? Uh, yeah, I got drafted in 84. So that, after that Olympics experience was done, the minor league season only had like a few weeks left to go. And I pitched a lot of innings already in my college year in the spring. I pitched a number of innings in the, in the tour, and I pitched those innings in the Olympic Games. So the Astros just kind of told me, take a breather. You know, We're not going to let you finish up the last couple of weeks in the minor league season, but we'll, we'll bring you out in um, mid-September for instructional league. I think they kind of refer to it as the Arizona Fall League and stuff like that now. But basically, yes. they brought all their, their new draft picks and their young prospects you arrive there, and it's like spring training. The way you, you show up in the morning, you do a bunch of workouts, and then you play these exhibition games against these other minor league prospects. You know that were all in that Arizona, you know Phoenix area there. So I did that right. for six weeks, and I was done. And then um, I'm getting ready to you know be notified. You know when minor league spring training was going to start. You know the letter came in the mail and from the Houston Astros. I opened up and read it, and I said, "Hey." So I was supposed to report on February the, I don't know, 14th or something like that, you know. Like, that's kind of early because I know my league spring training doesn't start until March, you know. So I called right. my agent and he said, yeah, you're going to major league spring training. And, oh, wow. That was like, I was so excited about that. <laughs> and then again, oh, I, so I, I fly to Florida and then I go on the, the and it was a brand, that was the first year, a brand new uh, spring training complex in Kissimmee, Florida. Yep. So I'm in this brand new locker room facility and then, you know, then there's there's Nolan Ryan's locker right there. You know, and then our first game workouts, I'm doing PFP drills with Nolan Ryan. I'm like, man, this is just crazy. You know, I was just 21 years old. You know, so I stayed there for, you know, the first month of spring training. And then the last couple of weeks, I was sent down to get ready for the minor league season. I wasn't pitching any innings in the major league exhibition games. I was pitching some B games and stuff like that. I got a third of an inning in one game, which is cool. So I officially did get into a a real major league exhibition game at that point. And uh, so I got down and they sent me to double A my first year. And so I had to go down the rest of spring training and got myself ready for my season. But it was just, you know, a great experience of being, you know, being there with all the major league guys and getting to kind of know them. And, you know, they kind of tease you and play around with you. And you're the new rookie young sure. kid that they're, they're seeing it. Oh, he's the first round guy. So they all kind of knew who I was and expecting I'd be a teammate of theirs in a couple of years or something. And, <laughs> it didn't happen because they traded me, you know, in a Houston Astros right. in 1986, the following year, we're in a, in a, they won the Western division, but in that pennant drive, they traded me and a good buddy of mine, Mark Knudsen. They traded us two yep. to the Brewers for in exchange for a veteran pitcher, Danny Darwin at that time. So and, uh, Darwin was, was, was good for the Astros. Astros too. Yeah. I, I tell you what, man, I, I, my question was definitely selfish. I wanted to know if you had any rat interaction with my favorite player of all time, Mr. Nolan Ryan. So uh, that's awesome yeah. that, that you got to be in spring training with him. That's super cool. Yeah, it was definitely. Was he, was he coach like, or did he just like stick to, I know he has a cr incredible routine he works out with. Yeah. 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 He had definitely, you know, he had the biggest legs. I mean, he had the strong legs. That's what he attributed yeah. to his power. He had that lower core and these big legs. He was always was working his legs out. And I remember one time, I guess a little story. I, I kind of think I, I, I kind of, teased Nolan Ryan was I kind of tell people is um, I was looking for somebody so I'm looking around I open up a door trying to find one of my buddies and then there's Nolan Ryan all by himself in the in the workout room and he had he's on one of those stationary bikes and he was just grinding away on his legs so I, I go oh there's this Nolan Ryan you know and and then right by that door so I'm saying oh hey I go hey I'm just looking for someone today how you doing there kid and I'm like all right and right next to me was like a bulletin board and somebody was teasing him and they put a, a picture on the bulletin board of him with a fish, like about, it looked like it was like four inches long, if that, you know, like a little dinky fish. So, so you know, he's got a small one. So I'm looking at that and I go, I don't know what to say to Noel, right? I'm in this awkward moment. I'm, I'm looking for someone else and there's the king. And I go, oh, is that you with that little fish? You know, <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of to say, you know? Yeah, 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 that's me. <laughs> I go, all right, I go. Throw so it's not here. See you later. You know, so I go, I just raked no one ran. That's kind of cool. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's so awesome. So, Don, I like to ask this because I find that every former player already knows the answer to this question. Do who uh, who owned you as a batter, and and who did you like to see up there at the plate? Well, I, I picked two guys. One guy did well, and he's a Hall of Famer. 
Another guy is probably a name that not too many people know of, but the guy just, even in the minor leagues, he just raked me all the time. The Hall of Famer, I'll, be, I'll do the easy one first, George Brett. You know I mean? Oh. Yeah, he is like, he, I didn't know where to pitch him. I mean, he stood way off the plate, and I thought, okay, yeah, he's like, his, his heels were in the back of the outside part of the batter's box. Like, how could he even reach home plate? So I go, <laughs> I'll throw a fastball off that corner. He can't reach it. Well, first pitch, he slung those arms out there and hit a line drive off the center field fence. I said, okay, like, well, who's going to cheat and dive into the plate to cover that corner? I'll just beat him inside. So I bust a fastball on him on his next at that. He whips those hands right through there, and he hits a line drive double down the right field line. I'm like, okay. So uh, I'll throw a curveball. Then he hits that solidly. I mean, any pitch I threw, anywhere I put it, he hit it hard. So I, I, I told people, I go, my, my way I, I try to get George Brett out is I just throw it over the plate, and I hope he hits it at somebody, you know? So, I mean, that was <laughs> – and, and I don't think I'm the only guy that had to go through that experience. I don't either. think you are. Yeah. <laughs> but the other guy, yeah, a guy named Cecil Espy, he played a little bit with the Rangers and the Pirates, and you know, sure. he had few years in the big leagues. But you know, I don't know how many people would remember him. But he was like seven for eleven off me in the big leagues, and had a triple and a double and stuff like that in the minor leagues. God, I remember one game in the minor leagues. I pitched a game to him. He hit two missiles up the middle where it hit my glove, it bounced up there, and. It, flung around and I caught up my bare hand is next to that. He did it again. It's like these line drives are just flying at me all the time. So he's probably the guy that I was like, wow, man, this guy was the toughest for me after George Brett, even um, wow. the batter. I, I did really well against Kirby Puckett. Now I, I think wow. he got like three or four hits off of me, but out of the four hits, three of them were just duds. One was a swinging bunt. One was a pop-up that just, popped up and got lost in the sky dome. I mean, a Metro dome oh, ceiling yes. and it bounced in between two guys. And he, he had another little cheap hit, but then he had one missile of a hit off of me though. But uh, he had one legitimate good hit off me and he hit it up the middle so hard that I couldn't react. I just, out of the corner of my eye, saw it whiz by me at an alarming speed that it, I said, wow, that could have done some serious damage. I'm lucky because I couldn't re- react to reflex even block it but i always did very well against him he just i would throw a slider to him all the time on the corner and break off and he'd just swing and miss at it all the time but i mean here, here he is he's a hall of famer i'm sure other guys tried to throw sliders off the plate against him too but for whatever reason he he, he would just whiff at mine a lot well, you also, speaking of Kirby Puckett, you owned one of his teammates, Dan Gladden, 0 for 11 with four strikeouts career versus yeah, you. He, he did the same thing. <laughs> he, he, he chased the slider too. It was like him and Gladden, yeah. I remember those two guys. Slider then, to, slider them to death and boom. And then Cal yeah, Ripken. on that team was Kent Herbeck. He was a tough pitch, tough guy. He, had, he was like three for four off of me my first time I pitched against him. And he had two home runs and then another hard hit line drive. And his one out was a line drive at the shortstop. And each of his hits was off of each of my different pitches. My fastball, my curve, oh, wow. my slider, my changeup. So he was a tough guy. But I, 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 I kind of got even with him a little bit. But that first time against him, he was like, wow, what, what do you do to him? He was like, like another George Brett first at that first time. You also fared very well against Cal Ripken. Ripken was only four for eight and, and K'd a couple of times against you. Yeah, I, I, I would get uh, Cal Ripken on slow curveballs. I just drop these little lollipops on him when I get ahead. And, and you know, he had a little hard time. With, I, I guess I surprised him with those, I guess. But I, I did pretty decent. He he had a home run off me one time. I remember pitching the game in Baltimore. And um, we had a two to nothing lead. It was the seventh inning. I think I got the first batter out or, or well, he might have been the first batter. But I, I didn't want to walk the leadoff guy, Cal Ripken. I fell behind the count. So I laid a 3-1 fastball there just. You know, I'd rather see him get a hit than a walk, but well, he hit it over the fence. And then I, I remember I got the next batter out, and Troublehorn took me out, but we still won that game. But overall, yeah, every time I pitched against Ripken, I, I did pretty decent. All right, so before we get to what I think is probably the most interesting part of your career after the major leagues, I want to—I've got a selfish, a selfish question as well. Mark, his favorite player is Nolan Ryan. He talked to ask you about that. My favorite player is Ricky Henderson. Can you just tell me as a pitcher, what was it like when Ricky Henderson gets on first base? How distracted are you as a pitcher with Ricky standing over there? 
It was very distracting. First of all, you didn't want to get him on base. And the last thing you want to do is walk him on because within a couple of pitches, he could be actually standing at third base. So here now, for whatever reason, Ricky Henderson's on first. He took a tremendous lead, this humongous lead. Like, God, if I just put a decent move on, I should pick him off. But God, every time he threw over there, he was back in easily, you know, diving head first and these hands in there. And you're like, and you, you, you were so focused on not letting him take the next base. And you lost some of your attention to the batter, which is what he needed to do too. But he had still second base. And I learned by watching a lot that he liked to then, you know, he's still second base and he kind of get, Oh, wow. Darn it. He got me. But then the next pitch, he'd like to take third base. Like, you know, like you lose your attention on him, you know? So he, you know, he could be at third base before you knew it. Now, obviously, you know, second base, third base. Now he's in scoring position and he's having pitchers pitching under stressful situations and that sort of thing. So he is a big distraction. He caused a lot of havoc on the base paths. Of course, he scored jillions of runs and stolen bases. And, you know, so he was like, he was a, you know, obviously a Hall of Famer, but man, he, he did a lot just by the base paths, you know, to be this great Hall of Fame kind of guy. All right, so let's let's now you're you're you uh you, you pitch in the major leagues for four years and then you go on like I said what I think is the most interesting part of your career, you first uh, end up down in Mexico, and uh, play a little bit down there and I want to ask you about 1994. You were in, in uh, let's see if I can even pronounce the team, Piratas de Campeche. You are. You are there. Do you remember a left-handed reliever called Herminio Dominguez? Vaguely. Yeah. I vaguely remember these names. At that point, he was 41 years old. <laughs> yeah. He, he would go on to pitch through 1998 when he was 45 years old. Yes. Which I remember him now. Yep. Which goes to prove that if you are a lefty, you can pitch until your arm falls <laughs> off. Right. He, yeah, I remember him. He, he was like his young forties when I was there, and you know he, he kept himself in great shape and he threw strikes. He, yeah, he did a great job. I remember him. Yeah. So you told a story on Twitter, and I actually ask. Uh, we've had a couple of other players that have played not so much in Mexico, but they went down there for tournaments. And your uh, your story about the bus rides there. I've asked everyone: Was there ever a time when you needed to? And on a bus ride in Mexico at night that you went <laughs> completely black so as not to get robbed. And everybody's yeah. told, everyone said yes. So <laughs> yeah, they, they, they remember it too. Yeah. It's like a, it's a surprising thing. You know, you go down to Mexico, it's different being down there. You're not in America, you know, we're close, but we're not in the United States anymore. And, um, the, the country's pretty big, you know, it's a big country, you know, from the North way down, it curls down to the South of the Yucatan there. Um, from the Yucatan up to the north, that's like a 30-something-hour bus ride. You know, so there's some like – when I played my first team in called Puebla, you know, we're like right in the middle of the country. Like it's a little south of Mexico City a couple of hours. So, you know, we're in the middle. And we, you know, we went on these 12 hours and 8 hours, which were kind of the small ones. And then, you know, we had 14 and 16 hours and plus. Then when I joined the team in Campeche, we were down in the further south. So all the way to the north was like 30-something hours. And plus you had your 18s and 20s and – all that good stuff. So, you know, you're learning to these bus rides. It's hot. Hopefully you had a good bus. The first team I was on, our bus had air conditioning, but we didn't have a bathroom. Well, God, <laughs> and those long rides, and especially if they have some beers and stuff on the bus, you know, to help pass the time, you had to go to the bathroom. And so that was an issue. I can tell stories about that. The second team was the opposite. We had a bathroom, but we didn't have AC. So, you're driving through the Mexican desert and places like that and in the summertime and it's hotter than you know what, but Hey, we had a bathroom though. <laughs> but then this one time we're playing in the North. I forget what city we're in. We're going from one town to the other and it's late at night, pitch dark. We're out in the middle of nowhere and it's these, these hills and stuff like that. And it's just pitch dark. And the only light you got is from the moon and you kind of see the silhouettes of these hills around you. And, uh, like we were saying here, all of a sudden, the bus goes from 70 miles an hour down to vroom, like five miles to 10 miles at back. And the, the headlights are out, and they turn all the interior lights out, so it's pitch dark, and we're going slow. I'm like, okay, what is this? And it continues to go on and on for a while. So I'm like, what's going on here? So I asked one of my teammates, like, hey, what's going on? What, what are we, why are we doing this? we got to be very quiet here. 
into the hills on the side is where the bandits are. They wait for cars and buses to come, and they come down, and they ambush them, and they rob you, and they beat you, and some people get killed. I'm like, wow, okay. So so this lasted for, I bet you, for 45 minutes or longer. It was a very long time. And I remember just staring out the window looking for bandits, you know, that come flying out of the hills. I'm picturing them on horseback and, you know, the, the, <laughs> the bullet teams wrapped around them and the sombreros. I mean, I'm just picturing this craziness. Waiting for me. Just like the three amigos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just real quiet. People are serious. I mean, okay. And then after a long while, all of a sudden the lights came back on and boom, we took off. We're going 70 miles an hour again. And it was like, okay, that was interesting. Good thing. No banditos. It was great. <laughs> so That's crazy. So from Mexico, then you continue your, your tour and you head to Taiwan. And this yep. is one of my favorite stories that you, that I have heard you tell. And it is uh, something about uh, something called the untruth game. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yep. The untruth game. I was in my second year in Taiwan. My first year, uh, I was in 95. Started that season. I actually went to the Pittsburgh Pirates spring training, went to Calgary AAA to start the year. And after the lockout and the strike season, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, when things settled down, they they released me. So in May of 95, I go to Taiwan for my first year. I return back my second year in 96. During that season, we're hearing stuff about possible players involved with gambling. So me and my other American teammate were like, oh, God, really? We're hoping this isn't true. And so we're, we're kind of watching closely now, the other teams and even our own teammates to see if just kind of, you know, what's going on here, if it's true. And again, we're hoping it's not true. So, um, God, when was it? It was like by, by the mid part of the season, shortly thereafter, I think we were playing this team called the elephants. They're out of Taipei, the capital city. I was playing in a city called Taichung and, um, all of a sudden, there was this ruckus on the field, you know, the next day that we played in one night. And then the next day, there was all this extra security and things happening. And, you know, the other teams dug out the elephants, dug out all this security running. There's a, a player in the team had his head wrapped up in gauze, like you kind of see in cartoons, you know, like this white gauze wrapped around his head. I'm like, God, what happened? So word kind of got out that these guys kind of got caught in the middle between two different gangsters um, gambling. Each of them got the gangsters got to these guys saying they wanted one team to have them win or lose. And so they're stuck in the middle. So when, when they won the game, I guess the other team who lost the bet now went after them and uh, at a bar after the game that, that night, they, they found these elephant players. They made them go back to their um, hotel room and they're kind of threatening them up. They owed them money and they betrayed him. And one of the players thought he's going to be tough spoke up against him and the guy pulled his gun out and pistol whipped him across the head. So that's why he's wearing that gauze around his head the next day. So that was the kind of the story. So everyone's like, Whoa, wait a minute. That was kind of crazy. You know, is this really true? Am I getting the right stuff or not? But that's what we kind of heard, you know? And I saw it with my own eyes. We were playing against him that next day. So maybe about a month later. So me and my teammate, we're still watching. We're kind of thinking, you know, things are kind of fishy here, but you still don't know for sure. Um, in Taiwan, they love to sing. Karaoke is like big time there. I mean, they got karaoke bars and places like, and literally in one building, there'll be like three of them inside, three different businesses. The next building down the street, you go, you can get in an intersection, look one way, the four different directions down the street, and you'll see several of these karaoke bars in each direction. They're, they're they like waffle houses in the South. Yeah, yeah, those waffle houses. Waffle houses, those are great late night after baseball games, you know. <laughs> I'll bet. <laughs> so my teammates and, and people who I got to know would often want me to go to these KTV places, what they call them, karaoke TV. They wanted me to go to show me fun, but they wanted me to go sing the English songs, you know. I'm like, oh, I don't sing. I can't. <laughs> they, they let me sing, and then they clap and tell me how great I was. I go, okay, thank you. <laughs> What's wrong with you? But uh, so I did that a lot, you know, often with friends and they were pretty expensive to own these places because they rent them for hours and they had food and drinks and all this other oh, stuff wow. in there. So they've never let me pay. They said, no, you are a guest, you know, that kind of thing. So 
but this one guy who's with my team affiliated through the team, he said, Hey, do you want to, you know, we're in Taipei. We're away from on the road. And let's go to a KTV. I go, oh, okay. Sounds fun. Why not? And I always knew people. And usually it'd be like six, seven people at most, you know, usually everybody, my teammates or friends, people who I knew, maybe a friend of a friend would be there, that sort of thing. Well, we go mm-hmm. into this room it was much bigger than usual, and there was like a lot of people in there, you know, maybe 15 up to 20, I guess. And I looked around, and I go, God, I really don't recognize these people. This is different, but oh, whatever. Some of my friends and teammates, I'm sure, will be showing up. So, I mean, this one guy, we sit down, and, you know, we start having some drinks, and we're hanging out and listening to people sing and just whatever. And, and then this one lady approached me, and she is speaking English and she asked me my name and I told her my name and what am I doing there? Oh, I play baseball here in the Chinese professional baseball league. And she's all oh, okay. And, you know, acting like she didn't know who I was, which at the time I figured that was the case. Then out of the blue, she started saying, Hey, do you know what the untruth game is? I went, Oh, cause I, I, I knew what she was getting at 100%. Time. I went, Oh, wow. Okay. She goes, um, we want to, there's people here who would like to know that you can, if you would do this, she goes, we can make a lot of money doing it. I go, oh man. So I'm thinking, wow. So I, I kind of, I'm scanning this room and I'm looking around at these people who I don't know. And I, you know what? These are a bunch of gangsters in here. And I see the one guy in the middle who's like the big guy. You know, he's in the middle of the place, and everyone's kind of around him. He's the big boss. I'm like, oh, crap. Now I'm stuck. So now I'm thinking, what am I going to do to get out of here? Because I'm not going to do this. And so I'm thinking, I'm staring at the ground, and she goes, oh, you look so sad. I go, no, no, I'm okay. I'm just saying, how am I going to get out of here alive? She goes, they, the, guy, the boss wants to tell me to tell you we got $10,000 here for you just to think about it. You can take the money and leave, but we do want to give this to you just so you can think about it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, thinking, and I'm thinking. I said, you know what? I can't do this. I go, I ain't going to do it. But I go, I told you, tell the boss that I say no. I can't do it. She goes, are you sure? I go, go tell him no. She goes, you know that if you don't do this, you will never win a game for the rest of the year. You know, I, I think I would end up having like five or six more starts afterwards. So we're about getting the last month plus of the season. I go, nope. So she's okay. So she gets up and she walks over to that guy who I figured who was the big boss. I see her go to his ear and talk to him. And then and all of a sudden he, he turns his head right at me and makes eye contact. And he don't look too happy. And about two seconds later, he stands on his feet and he screams out some stuff in Chinese. And the place just went quiet. And then everybody starts getting up and they start, they're leaving now. Everyone starts making their way to the door to leave this place. I'm like, oh, crap. He's pissed off. I go, okay, I'm going to let them all leave. I'm going to go slip out the back door and get out of this place. Well, all of a sudden they go, no, no, you got to leave. So they're kind of grabbing me and kind of sh- pushing me in a way, not pushing or shoving, but just kind of shooing me towards the door. Now we're like on the ninth or 10th floor of this building. So everyone's going towards the elevators. And I'm like, oh, crap. So the elevator opens. Now I'm worrying about elevators because I heard of a story prior years. I don't know the guy's name, but we had heard about this one American guy that – we heard he was thrown off of a roof and got killed. And it was covered up as, as a suicide, and he, he was depressed. So I'm afraid, oh, God, we're going to an elevator. They're going to take me to the roof, and I'm going off. I'm getting tossed is my thoughts. So I get on the elevator. I got my back to everybody. And the great thing was we weren't going up. We were going down. So that was a relief. But I still was freaking out that someone, I was waiting for someone to just wrap something around my neck and choke me off and kill me right there. So that was, those nine to ten stories going down that elevator went super slow to me. I was literally waiting for someone to kill me. The elevator doors open. They kind of go out the elevator to the left. I shoot to the right, and I'm out of there. I find the kid that took me there, and I said, what the F and blank, 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 you took me here, dude. I mean, you ever do this again, I'll, I'll kick your butt. And he says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They made me do it. They told me I had to bring you, blah, 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 blah. So – we get out of there, and I was like, okay. I was just lucky to be okay. Then my thought was, well, God, am I going to lose every game I pitch for the rest of the year? Well, it turned out my last – I think it was my last five starts. I, I was like 4-0 and with one no decision. 
And so, I mean, I, I've won all those games. I finished out the year doing great. So that didn't happen. They didn't, bo- no one bothered me. No one came after me. The following year, this guy would bring it up again. If I would throw a game, I said, no, no, no. Cause I know the gangsters all know that you won't do it, but I had to ask. I said, okay, so that was the next year, but otherwise nothing ever happened to me again. So that was, yeah, that was kind of a crazy story. That was the first story I put on, <laughs> on my Twitter. It was the time when the, when the lockdown of the country happened here in mid-March. My son said, hey, you know, you got a bunch of stories because I'm in the process of putting a book together. I got it written out, but we're, we're putting it together. So my son said, hey, why don't you throw some of your stories out there to the people? Everyone needs some baseball stories. I go, so, all right. I'll, so that was the first one. It was the big one, and that kind of that was kind of popular one for sure. <laughs> it's absolutely frightening. Incredible. I, I want to throw this out there. This is uh, one of our uh, one of our listeners uh, who is a big uh, a big fan of uh, of Asian baseball. Uh, Renichi underscore B ball tweeted this, and uh, he mentioned that you are the only pitcher to have ten or more wins in both Major League Baseball. the Taiwanese league or the CPBL. So the, the Taiwanese major league, which is the, the, the league that you went to after the CPBL, you're the only one to have 10 plus wins in all three leagues. Wow. I got 10 plus wins in the Mexican league too. So I guess they throw that in if they don't mind. Just keep tacking it on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I did. So I didn't see that. I forgot about that, but yeah, so I'm through that. I mean, I I thought about, you know, it's kind of hard to do. I mean, you got to stick around in baseball long enough to keep going to all these different places and be successful. And it's hard. I mean, playing these different countries is—it's a big culture difference and language, food, and travel. And I mean, it's hard to go do good. I mean, I remember thinking a lot of good—you can bring a, a top major league pitcher and send them to Mexico, and they could struggle just because of all the distractions of those other cultural things. It's—it's it's real hard to do. So, you know, I, I got lucky enough that I was able to handle it. You know, with my career, I mean, as we're kind of mentioning, you know, I, I played four years in the major leagues, and I was hoping to get a good 15 to 20 year major league career. But, you know, I, I kind of went on another angle, and I, I continued to play. I was hoping that I get a chance back in the United States, but I went that international route, and which has all these different crazy stories and different things that happened to me. So, you know, I was able to do all that, and I had some success because they they demand when you're an American on another team, they pay you a little bit more than their average players, and then they expect you to, as a hitter, to get a hit every time you're up, and as a pitcher, to put a zero up every inning and win every single game. And you you have one to two bad games at that, and they're already talking about getting rid of you. So there's a, a lot of pressure there. You know, wow. so I was successful enough and able to handle it. Well, Don, we hope to we hope that that book uh, is something that is in the very near future because we'd love to have you. I still have so many questions for you, including Italian baseball and, and so forth. But we don't want to keep you too long. But we do want to, uh, if we can, open a pack of baseball cards with you uh, in a segment that we like to call uh, Wax Pack Heroes. So I have got a pack of 1991 score baseball cards here, and uh, this is we've we've been sticking with 91 score because I got a whole bunch of them so we can keep everybody consistent. But we like to open these with our guests, and uh, we have got in front of us a May 1992 Beckett baseball card monthly, so that we can okay. assign some value to these cards. And uh, the, the newer ones, these cards aren't worth much, so we like to use a 92. Uh, we've got a couple of other rules with these cards. Uh, if you are wearing, if the, if the player is, and we can see it, are wearing real stirrups, you get an extra cent. If they're uh-huh. wearing two and one stirrups, the, the socks just with them sewn in, it's a minus yep. one cent. And I, I hate to tell you last week, I, I pulled your card and you were wearing one of these and <laughs> subtracted. Yeah, I, I remember that the thing. It was easy to slip them right on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, if the player uh, is sporting a mustache, because a lot of guys wore mustaches, you get an extra cent. And if they are a Hall of Famer, you get an extra five cents. Um, oh, okay. We are going to we're going to make a special rule for you. 
if we pull your card, we're just going to give you an extra dollar right off the top there because Ooh, wow, okay. If you in. <laughs> if you pull your own, it's it's extra. So I'm going to go ahead and open this. The uh, I, I mentioned that uh, to you earlier that Richie Schaefer is our current leader. He pulled a, a Jose Canseco card a couple of weeks ago that was worth a dollar and, and a half or something. So he he jumped Great. way out on top. Um, so here we go. I've, I've got these cards for you, and we'll just go through them and, and see if you remember any of these guys. First, oh, we've yeah. okay. got a pitcher for the New York Yankees, Alan Mills. Yep, I remember him. Uh, let's see. I'm going to guess Alan's not worth anything in Beckett, but he definitely has real stirrups. So that's going to okay. get you on the board with, uh, with one cent, so that's better than how I usually start off these games. Uh, next, uh, another pitcher. This one for the Minnesota Twins, Tim Drummond. Okay. <laughs> I don't remember him. <laughs> I'm I, 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 those I first two guys. Like, I'm trying to remember what position or what, what he looked like. Yeah, I can't. I he's can't got recall. A, he's got a big mustache, definitely. Okay. Uh, just a big uh, a righty. Um. Well, six three one seventy, a little bit skinny, but uh, yeah, not much, not much going on there for Beckett. But uh, he's got a he's got a mustache, but he's wearing those two and ones, so that's gonna that's gonna cancel out that mustache money. Yeah, flash. Uh, <laughs> next, this guy was a stalwart for the Atlanta Braves coming out of the bullpen, Kent Merker. Oh yeah, I remember him. He was uh, he was definitely on those World Series teams uh, going up against the Twins. A lot of the time. Now, was he a left? He's a left-handed pitcher, if I remember, or not? Yep, you got it. A lefty. Oh, yeah. Yep. Now I hate. To yep, s- I remember him. He kind of threw from a three-quarter slot a little bit, a little across his body, <laughs> maybe, if I remember right. Well, I hate to tell you this, but he's wearing two and one stirrups. So. <laughs> yep, that was the day, all right. Yep. <laughs> That's gonna. You're, you're getting killed on these fashion faux pas, Don. <laughs> yeah. Next, we've got uh, this guy's had some pop. First baseman for the Orioles, Ryan Milligan. Yep. Is it Ryan or, or Randy? Oh, Ryan? I'm sorry, Randy. Milligan. Randy Milligan. Yeah. 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 See, okay, I get, I get, a, I get a penny for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's definitely got that mustache going on there too. But uh, yeah, he, oh, he's swinging one of those. This is he's on the on deck circle. He's swinging one of those. Uh, uh, it wasn't. It was, it was a metal thing that had a weight at the end. That when you swung it, it would it would go to the end. Yeah. It would make that clinking noise. You could always hear guys on deck with that. Yep. Yep. Uh, okay. Yeah, you know, trying to get that extra muscle, like swing and hit the ball not over the fence, but out of the stadium off of you. You know. Yeah. So right. you, you were teammates with Dave Parker, and Dave Parker used to have that sledgehammer on the yeah. on deck yep. circle that I loved when he would swing that thing. Yeah, that looked weird. You sell, you're looking at the on-deck guy. Who's coming up next? You kind of strategize how to pitch that one batter ahead of him, and you, know, you see this guy swinging a sledgehammer. He's like, I came up this guy in the first place, and he's, his muscles are flexing as he's swinging a sledgehammer. You're like, oh, crap, I better get this guy out, man. And his nickname's the Cobra. You just, yeah, Cobra. you don't want to mess with he played, that. He, I played a year. I played one season with the Cobra. Yeah. 1990, he was a member of the Brewers. He was, a, he was one of the funniest guys ever. I mean, yeah, I knew him really. as a player. I didn't know who he was, you know, personally. But then, God, he was like one of the craziest, funniest guys ever on the team. Yeah, he is a legend. That's great. Legend. Okay, next we've got a rookie prospect card. This for the San Diego Padres, Rafael Valdez. Okay, I remember the name. I don't. I don't think I pitched against him or maybe played against him, but I do recognize the name. Yeah, I don't remember him, but he's got some real stirrups going on there, so he'll get you a cent with that. Next, okay. we've got another uh, rookie prospect card. Uh, this It's just got his name on here. We know him better from his nickname. He had an incredible opening day one year with the Cubs and is an absolute legend. I believe he is the uh, all-time home run leader in the uh, Japanese league. It is Carl Tuffy Rhodes. I do remember him. I remember yeah. him. I don't think I pitched against him, but I do. I do know him. You know, remember his name? No, I, I just I remember him hitting three home runs on opening day, and all the um, the rotisserie players, his stock went through the roof all of a sudden. You know, because you don't draft until you're maybe a few days into the season. And I remember him hitting three home runs and going, "Well, someone's going to overpay for him." <laughs> 
Yeah, but he went he went on to be a legend in in Japan. Uh, yes, he did. Card is worth two cents, and he is wearing real stirrups, so that's going to get you three cents on that one. Now, when I first came to the Burrs, I did wear the real stirrups at first until I I saw those little two in one things and. Like I said, those are so much easier to have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. uh, next, we've got a number one draft pick card. This uh, from the New York Mets. It is Jeremy Burnett's. Yep. yep. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, there's a brewer. I yep. never, I never played with him, but uh, I remember watching him a lot on TV with the Brewers. Yeah, I remember. I remember him mainly with the Brewers, but uh, apparently drafted by the Mets as a number one pick. That card, unfortunately, though, not worth anything except for he's got real stirrups. So you'll get one cent there. <laughs> Next, we've got another first round draft pick card, Lance Dixon of the Cubs. Dixon, I I, I never played against him. I don't recall Mary Hughes nationally, but we we went against the Cubs a lot in spring training, so I don't I don't recognize his name. Yeah, I don't, I don't really remember him either, but he, he likewise has those real stirrups on, so you'll get a scent there. Next, uh, infielder for the uh, Boston Red Sox, Luis Rivera. Yep, I remember him. I played against him in the minor leagues. I think he was he was drafted by the Expos. I remember playing against him when he was in Indianapolis, AAA team, but then he made it up with the, the Boston Red Sox. I do remember him. Yep. Uh, he I was against him, too. I was just watching. Uh, I was watching the '89 uh, ALCS yesterday against the A's, and he was on that team. He's got those big, uh, big glasses on too. And guys used to wear glasses. Uh, that yeah. Card is not worth anything, but he's got that mustache and those stirrups. So uh, you're gonna get two cents there. All right. Next, Sounds good. Uh, a big lanky guy. This guy had some pop. First baseman for the White Sox at this point, Carlos Martinez. I remember him. I think he'd end up playing with the Indians a little bit too. Yep, yep, most definitely. I I would, and then in 1993, I was AAA. I, I mean, I played the first part of the season in Mexico, and then I went to the Indians AAA team in Charlotte, which we were the International League champions that year. He would be sent down by the Indians, and so he was in AAA. So I played, I played against him when he was with the White Sox, and I played with him briefly in AAA with the Indians. Yeah, I, re- I remember him. He's a because he's big, tall, skinny guy, but he had a, he had some good power. Yeah. Uh, yes, so, he did. So that card doesn't have value, but he's got a mustache and he has got stirrups. So yeah, another yeah, another right. two for you. <laughs> Next, this was right. a reliever for the Rangers. I remember this guy had a, a good fastball. It is Jeff Russell. Oh yeah, I definitely remember Jeff Russell. Yeah, he was a great relief pitcher. Texas Rangers did really good. Yep, I totally I remember him. Yeah, so that card, no value, but he's got that mustache, so you get a scent there. Next, okay. I remember this guy. Uh, I remember him more with the Phillies, but here he is with the Royals, kind of a utility guy in the infield, Steve Jeltz. Yeah, I remember him. He's a good player, solid guy. So uh, you get a, a point there. He's got he's got some good stirrups, real stirrups going on there. Now, this okay. is... Uh, my, uh, Mark knows what I'm going to say about this guy. This is my favorite pitcher of all time. I am an A's fan, and I am a Smoke fan. It is Dave Stewart. Oh, God, yes. I knew Dave Stewart. I, I, met, I got to personally get to know him a little bit, which at one point, God, I, I hated pitching against him because, I mean, you know, he's won 20 games a year for how many years in a row. He was a, he was a, he should be in the Hall of Fame. This guy was like winning games all the time, and I did not like to go up against him. And I had a streak where I pitched like two or three games in a row or something, head up against him. It was like, oh goodness, yeah, he was one of the best. Yeah, I love him. I, I I'm a little disappointed the A's were going to retire his number this year finally, but I, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to do it if they play at all because there won't be anybody in the stands. But I love Dave Stewart. Right. Um, and they'll do it next year. Somehow this card is not worth anything in Beckett, but he does have that mustache, so you do get one cent there. Next, ah, he doesn't get no value on his card. Oh, dang, he should have he should have been a big one. I know. I'm I'm a, I'm very disappointed in that. Uh, next, tough God. Lefty for the Padres. I remember this guy. I grew up in in Salt Lake City, and this guy was from St. George, Utah. It is Bruce Hurst, lefty for the San Diego oh, yeah. Padres. Yeah, he was the Padres. He was with the Red Sox. Yep. yep. I think 
I remember him. Yeah, he was a he was a big he, he won a lot of games. He was a he was a big time left-handed yeah. pitcher. Yep, he was he was a good one. Uh, unfortunately, again, Beckett's just harsh on these on these guys. Um, next, yeah. we've got a right fielder for the Yankees. We've talked about this guy a lot. One of the best arms from the outfield in the game. It is Jesse Barfield. Yeah. Now he was with uh, with the Blue Jays when he yep. came up with. So I, I remember him playing against him with the Blue Jays. Yeah. Yeah. He I remember the, uh, the announcers in throw Jesse Barfield. Yeah, that brings my mind. He would That's have him. definitely been on that Blue Jays team uh, when the Sky Dome opened, most definitely. I believe so. Yep. Yeah. So, and I can tell this is the year that Billy Martin passed away because he's got a number one on his sleeve for the Yankees here. But unfortunately, again, no value except for he's got a mustache and he is wearing real stirrups. So that'll bump you yeah. up to sixteen cents in your final card. It is a reliever right. for the Cardinals. It is Jeff Montgomery. Jeff Montgomery. Now he came up with uh, the Royals. Correct. I I got to know him pretty well. For whatever reason, you, just, you whenever you play against other teams, guys would just chat with you. So he had always chat with me when we were in the minor leagues, and then in the major leagues, he'd always during batting practice always would come out and want to chat with me. And he was a nice pitcher, but he, he he really came on to be a pretty dominant relief pitcher for a number of years. So yeah, I remember Jeff Montgomery big time. Yeah, he's definitely had uh, had some good years out of the bullpen. Um, that card not worth anything, though, except for the one cent for the real stirrups. So uh, I'm afraid Beckett let us down here this uh, this week. Uh, your total is 17 cents. So uh, we, we cannot retire on this pack of cards. It's just not going to uh. <laughs> not going to not going to get us there. Um, well, but- it was fun talking about these guys anyway, though. That's, that's the fun part. Yeah, I like that's, this. that's what exactly. we enjoy doing that. Um, Don, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we've had a, a really fun time. I've still got so many questions. I think Mark does, too. Uh, hopefully, I we do. can have you on again, and we can talk about your book. Yeah, call me again whenever you like. We can talk about Italy. We can talk about my book. We can do some more stories, whatever. I got, I got many of them to talk about, so give me a call whenever you want. Great. And do you want to tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Um, I'm on Twitter, Don August 38. I, I share my stories. I'm getting ready to. I'm ready to put another story out here in the next day or so, and that's uh, that's where they can find me. Eventually, I'm going to get this book. So we're in the process. That'll be the next big thing. So that hopefully the book sooner the better. Awesome. Well, we look forward Great. to it, and believe me, we we're going to take you up on it, and we're gonna we're gonna have you back on again because we've still got a lot of questions for you. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's more to talk about. Yeah, whenever you guys want, just give me a call. This is fun. All right, Mark. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. I am. Uh, yeah. I'm. We're, we're very grateful for Don when he started sharing these stories on Twitter. I was like, oh my gosh, we have to get this guy on the podcast. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to happen, but he was the nicest guy and was more than happy to come on. So thank you again to Don August. And we cannot wait to, to talk to you again. We cannot wait to to get your book out there so everybody can read all these great stories. Yeah, absolutely. That was a lot of fun. Don uh, will hopefully come on again because uh, I've already received all kinds of positive feedback just for the first uh, half of the interview. And uh, the second half is even more fun, in my opinion. So, um yeah, he, he, he might have to, if we can talk him into it, he, he's got to come back and, and talk to us again because he was awesome. Yeah, I've got, well, he played his final year in, in organized baseball was in Italy. Yes. And uh, I have got, I actually have read a bunch of stories about that league and I've heard him tell a story or two about it. And it's just very interesting why he went there and how he found out about it and the things he did while he was there and stuff. So it's it's really interesting and we didn't even get to that. So uh, we'll, we'll definitely uh, hopefully have Don back on. Um, you know, he's been uh, one of uh, one of many great guests we've had on recently that have uh, shared some of their experience uh, from their time in, in Major League Baseball and elsewhere around the world. I think that's interesting to hear about these other leagues. Yeah, we, we love that stuff on the show. So, so uh, let's uh, start to wrap it up. We'd like to thank our listeners as always. We really do appreciate you listening. We appreciate when you interact with us on social media, which you can do. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. That is on both Twitter and Instagram. Mark, do you want to tell us how they can get a hold of us via email? 
Yes, please write uh, in some form of non-dead language. If it comes in Latin, I'm not going to be able to translate it very well. T-W-O, strike noise, at gmail.com. Also, like to remind you, we are on a uh, on an app called Hot Mike. You can uh, you can download that on any of your Android or Apple uh, stores. And what we do there is every now and then we will uh, go back and watch an old game, and we'll talk about it. And you can follow us in real time. We've uh, I think we've got another one we're going to schedule coming up pretty soon as we get ready for the regular season. Uh, just download the app. It's going to ask you for a, uh, a code. Just type in our name, Two Strike Noise, T-W-O Strike Noise, all one word. It's absolutely free. You can listen to us just babble about uh, the game that's going on or, or players that are that are playing. You don't have to listen to the whole thing. It's just uh, something to do for fun. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you uh, listen to that. We'd appreciate it if you went to our YouTube channel. You can watch these Wax Packs Heroes. Don's uh, will be up shortly. And uh, just a bunch of ways you can uh, you can continue to hear us and our, our dulcet tones uh, talk about baseball. So, Mark, I think we should do this again next week. What do you say? I, I have scheduled some time. Uh, let's see, in between nothing and nothing. I can do this. Yes. We hope to see you again next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. Bye.